Set in a fictional suburb of New Orleans, The Last Suspicious Holdout dissects the lives of African Americans during the 15 years between the Reagan era to the night before Obama is elected president. Each story finds itself connected by threads of recurring characters, exploring the effects of the emergence of crack cocaine in the early 90s to the neighborhoods ravaged by gentrification. In this episode, we speak with Lady Hubbard about the creativity behind the scripting book, her relationship with examining the lives of those in the South, and what it was like to be guided by the hands of the magnificent Toni Morrison. Stay with us for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we are joined with a very special guest uh, who has come from very far via Zoom (laughs) to join us uh, this evening. Uh, We have Lady Hubbard. Uh, Lady Hubbard is the author of the novels The Rib King and The Talented Ribkins. Her short fiction has appeared in the Oxford American, Greenica, the Virginia Quarterly Review, and Callaloo, among other publications. She is a recipient of an Ernest J. Gaines Award for Literary Excellence, a Hearst and Wright Legacy Award for Debut Fiction, and a Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award. She has received fellowships from the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study, the American Academy in Berlin, McDowell and Hedgebrook, among other organizations. Lady was born in Massachusetts and raised in the U.S. Virgin Islands and Florida. She currently lives in New Orleans. Her newest work of fiction is a collection of short stories called The Last Suspicious Holdout, and it is our featured book of the month for the month of March. Welcome to our show. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We Before we get into all of our questions, um, we have asked you uh, if you would honor us to uh, read us uh, an excerpt of your book. We want people to really dive into the language of your, of your pieces, which is just brilliant. Um, so if you can just honor us with that request, we greatly appreciate it. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm just going to read, I'll read a little bit from the, the first story in the collection, which is called Flip Lady, and uh, it is set in 1992. Okay. History. Raymond Brown hears the sound of laughter. He puts down his book and looks out the window. Here they come now, children of the ancient ones, the hewers of wood, the cutters of cane, barreling down the sidewalk on their huffies and schwins. Little legs pumping over fat rubber tires, brakes squealing as they pull into the drive, standing on tiptoe as they straddle their bikes and stare at the house with their mouths hanging open, just like before. 
Some of them he still recognizes. He made out with that girl's sister in the seventh grade, played basketball with that boy's uncle in high school. This one was all right till his brother joined the army. That one was okay until her daddy went to jail. And you see that girl in the back, the chubby one standing by the curb next to the brand new Schwen? She hasn't been the same since the invasion of Grenada nine years ago in 1983. The Spice Island. When the Marines landed, she was three years old, living in St. George's near the medical clinic with her mother, the doctor, and Aunt Ruby, the nurse. The power went off, the hospital plunging into blue darkness while machine gun fire cackled in the distance like a bag of Jiffy Pop bubbling up on a stove. Oh no, Aunt Ruby said, just like before. It's all there in the book on his lap. Colonizers fanning out across the Atlantic like a hurricane, not exactly hungry, but looking for spice. They claimed the land, they built the plantations, they filled the islands up with slaves. Sugar kept the workers happy, distracted from grief. And 400 years later, you have your military invasions and McDonald's Happy Meals, your Ho-Ho's and preemptive strikes, your Oreos and Reaganomics, your Captain Crunch and Kool-Aid. These kids can't get enough of it. They sit in the driveway, they shift in their seats, they grip the plastic streamers affixed to their handlebars. One of them kicks the kickstand and steps forward, fingers curled in a small tight fist as he knocks on the kitchen door. Flip lady, you in there? Just like before. They roam the entire earth in search of spice, so why not here, why not now? Flip lady, you home? It's me, Calvin. For the past few weeks, they've been coming almost every day. Raymond closes the curtain. He shakes his head and turns towards the darkness of a back bedroom. Mama, it's those fucking kids again. I can stop there. I'll, I can stop. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, man. that went, Let me tell you something. When I was reading this first story and... I got to that line, I guess this is what the third paragraph where uh, you say, here they come now, children of the ancient ones, the hewers of the wood, the cutters of cane, barreling down the sidewalk on their huffies and schwins. I said, this is something that I cannot wait to get to the end of because just that that sentence was just so beautiful and the imagery in it, it just took me back to just, my grandma used to be the candy lady. Oh, okay. I, I understand like seeing those children come, <laughs> come to her house, you know, and her selling all the candy and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, in the in the in the flips in the in the freezer, it just uh -huh. me back. So just that line, I was just like, I want that on a shirt, on a cup, on <laughs> it's it's really beautiful. Um, will you tell uh, the listeners what this collection is is about? Um, it's a it's all one southern. It's 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 Florida. It's a Gulf Coast Florida community, uh, the black community, um, and it's it's uh, it's about the community itself and sort of the transformation it, it undergoes over time. That's what it's about as a whole. And it's set, uh, the stories are, every story is at a different year and it goes from 1992 to, to 2007. 
So right, you know, before Obama got elected and stuff like that. So I just really wanted to chronicle those years. I thought they were actually really, I think they're really important actually. So um, yeah, so that's that's what it's about. It's about a community. So they're, 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 the stories are all very different and they're characters that, that overlap in different stories and stuff like that. But really in my mind, it was about um, the transformation of the community as a whole, yeah. I don't know if you're aware, I'm not sure if, uh, if uh, Ashley may have told you, she probably doesn't even know herself, but we are based in Florida. Yes. So this was That's like- awesome. I love it whenever we get a chance to read anything that's based in the South, especially if it's based in Florida. And I think what was the last thing we probably read was what Dantil. Oh yeah. Yeah. So reading this, you know, just like, ah, this feels, this like, feels good to be, well, this story isn't based in Florida, but rib, the rib King was, this is based in. Oh, that's Florida. right. Correct. No, well, it's it, it, yeah, it's kind of a made up space in my mind, though, a lot of those things are from from Florida. So where in Florida are you? Just because I'm curious. Uh, we are in the central Florida area. We're in okay. out, outside of Orlando in Oakland, Florida. Oh, wow. OK, OK. We know that you have spent a lot of time in different places throughout your life. Yeah. Um, so we were just curious as to wondering, like, what specifically the, the South mean for you in your work right well you know i i did i moved a lot and i spent from literally from infancy every summer in st petersburg florida with my grandparents okay okay so i i find that i write i'm very influenced by by my relationship with them and we were very very close and also my experiences growing up there so the collection actually draws a lot on that. And I've said the first book, the, um, the Talented Ribkins, that, that drew a lot on my, on my relationship with my grandfather. So I know. So yeah, the, those, that, that location means a lot to me. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think for us, you know, reading books that are set in the South is extremely important because we find that um, especially when you're talking about people of color, um, hmm. those books are not highlighted if if they are out there um, and hmm. they're rare find because a lot of stories tend to be set in places like, you know, New York or Los right. Angeles, wherever there is metropolitan area. And if they dive into Florida, it's usually like Miami. Right. Um, so it really is important to have stories that are dedicated to just the myriad of lives that Black people lead um and having this particular collection means a lot for us um as readers who live in the south and it was it's just truly one of the most beautiful things that we've had a chance to read so thank you oh so much oh my gosh thank you thank you so much that that's that's wonderful that's beautiful so yeah it is it is kind of a, a tribute to that for me do you know what i mean like i understand what you're saying and i think it's very um important too. Do you know? Yes, yes. What was the time span of you writing this? Because I know certain of the certain stories were already previously published in different um, locations. So how long did it get to you to say, okay, I want to make this an entire uh, collection of short stories that 
has this thread through them well it's it's um it's funny what i was just the first story um flip lady that i was just reading from that's actually the first story i ever published wow and i think it was in 2009 oh wow so, yeah do writing the whole thing took a very long time which is to say and i i also um like I've always written it. I kind of took a while before I started trying to publish stories, you know? So um, I think I, I always had the idea that I would make a series of stories that, you know, one took place every year. So mm -hmm. like, if you looked at a lot of the things that were published, they have little dates, which is, I don't know what that was. And so, you know, sometimes things work out and, and sometimes they don't like, you know, <laughs> very big <laughs> ideas and I hear it is all these years later and it's actually come to to fruition that I actually did have a collection and it's all set in this place and that is the way it's organized but yeah no I I thought about it for a really long time hmm. yeah that's why when when we when me and Veronica were talking about it it's very rare to find a short story collection that goes from one place to another and yet hmm the the characters are the same and yet the setting is also all in kind of the same context right most yeah. of the short stories that we would read would be like different people right. different stories and maybe the themes might be the same but but to me this because I love short stories oh so, great so this to me was like how did she do that this piece was written like seven years ago from this other piece but how do they come together so to <laughs> right. me it was like the magic of this book and that I really appreciated your writing thank you and it was it, 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 it was hard I think if I had been um I don't know I kind of was learning to write do you know what I mean like I was learning to put things together because part of maybe if I'd had like it all sort of mapped out in my head originally, it would have been a much more straightforward process because all of the stories are, are very different. They're very, they're structured very differently. Um, so I don't know, I mean, that's just how it, it occurred to me. That's how I sort of felt my way through writing the book. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, they are all very different stories, but they're all like set in the same I don't know what, well, I don't know what that is though. That's just, I mean, it, did, it took a long time to write it. So, and that's, that's partially wise because each one had such a different sort of structure that I had to deal with. So I don't, I don't know if it was intentionally that they all have different, but that's just how it, it turned out, do you know? And I just, so I took very individual time with each piece. Yeah. With Flip Lady being your first back in 2009, did you initially know like, okay, so this was the first piece to get published, but did you have it in your mind? Like, I want to use this as a short story or do you think that you had it, you wrote it as a short story in hopes of it becoming a full out novel? No, I see that's, that's what I'm, that's part of what I'm saying. Cause I've never written a novel. I'd never tried to write a novel. And I think that in terms of form, I didn't really fully know what I was doing. So it's like, I wanted to write a series of short stories, but then in some, in some sense, the way my mind was working was as if I was writing a novel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So I didn't, I would write stories, but they were all linked. And, it, you know, I would be doing this for years and years and years. I don't think I really knew enough about maybe like formally, like the difference between writing a novel, because I think that's what my instinct was. But this is how it it came out. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? It, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that we're really like pique the interest of like readers when we say like these characters like lived was was in all of the stories in in the book and yet they have their own individual stories and their own yeah. worlds yeah yeah so to me to me that was a delight because I was like this is this is this is cool this is amazing I can I can read this I can probably go on reading <laughs> if oh, you continue so nice. If you if you made a suspicious holdout too, I probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would take just as long to do a, a, another one though. Yeah, so yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's like interesting journey for me as well. Do you know what I mean? Like trying to to write it to figure out how to write it. So, and uh, yeah, that's funny because I think the the first novel that I wrote that um the the talented ribkins that first chapter of that book was also a short story and mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure when i published it it had a date too because it's also in florida and it's like you know and then i was like oh no i want to expand this part of it but I, I really like when i wrote stories that would be like the underlying thing is that it's all somehow connected to this community in like some strange way it was different as a story it wasn't the same as the first chapter but then I just went forward so yeah very long process <laughs> but, yeah um so you've written uh this collection this span over a 15 year period of time between the Reagan era up into right before Obama is elected president and so when writing and looking through this like lens of time, what goes through your mind about how drastically the lives of African-Americans have changed uh, while other major parts may have not only stayed the same, but have maybe like increased in size? While other parts? Parts of, you know, the other parts of the things that they're going through Mm. Um, as, you know, as a culture, as a culture of people, of the things that they might not have disappeared they're still there, but they may have grown, grown in size. What do you, what are your thoughts on the progression of African-Americans during this 15, 15 year period that you are writing about? Right. Well, I think what I was interested in is, um, so that period, you know, people used to call it like the post civil rights era or whatever. It's just a very, it's, it was, it's an interesting time. What I remember of it um, in part is that there was sort of this the bifurcation of black identity along class lines. It was almost like there were two different worlds, you know, mm -hmm. like you'd have all these representations of like very successful black people. And then there was like this other world and they were very, they were represented as very separate. And I think there was also a lot of talk that because there were two different worlds, you couldn't really talk about race mm -hmm. as like a unif. It's weird because it's like instead of one stereotype, now there are two stereotypes, right? <laughs> Neither of them are like very well fleshed out or accurate. 
but they don't have anything to do with each other. So how are people going to talk about solidarity in mm. terms of race when there's like this bifurcation? So that's one thing uh, along class lines. There was a lot of emphasis on like, it's, it's kind of strange. It was like two, literally like two worlds, you know, and one was, it was kind of way up there, you know? I guess you had like the Cosby. Oh, that was a pretty, that was a pretty, uh, they were doing pretty well too, weren't they? The Cosby's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's like this thing. And then also what I remember is um, the language, the emptying out of language. So I was in California in the nineties and they had the, the bill, as I recall, you know, I haven't, I need to look it up and make sure, but as I recall the, the um, initiative that ended affirmative action in California at that time was called the civil rights initiative. And there were all these gestures like that in terms of the use of language. So like maybe you have associations with like, what is civil rights? What would a civil rights initiative mean? And it's sort of being like emptied out of any specific meaning so then you can't really use it to express an idea anymore because it doesn't you know what I mean like if anybody can just use that then it doesn't really mean anything so like both of those things in my mind kind of mixed together I think it was very difficult to um I don't know to express a lot of things that were going on so the way it occurs to me is that I think a lot of the characters in the book, there is like a, a, a difficulty with expressing grief. Mm. They're, they're, they're kind of grieving and they can't, they don't, there's not really a language to express that. And so that, that was kind of a pervasive um, theme. And I think it's really fascinating um, how much changed after um, Obama was elected in terms of the national culture and not really like probably the way, you know, people would have expected, but it, it really did shift. I mean, all the stuff with Black Lives Matter, that was, that was during Obama, you know? Right. right. And which I find fascinating because it was like um, people found their voice. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and it's just, it's very interesting. And then because of you, that initially it was like, well, my mother, I was, everybody was happy. My mother was ecstatic. It's like this huge moment. Um, but sort of the uses it was being put to, it's like, oh, see, this is proof. There is no more racism. Mm -hmm. And instead it was like, people found their voice again. Do you know what I mean? Right. That's right. what it felt like. So that that was very interesting to me as well. So yeah, so this, this, this is about the quiet before that, do you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you're talking about like the the Cosby show and that that scene of seeing these elevated black folk um, in a space that it was not necessarily seen on TV often, especially to that to that level, makes right. me think about like all of the different organizations like Jack and Jill programs and around maybe like the age of 13, my family mm -hmm. started going to um, a, pr a prominent uh, AME church 
here in Orlando. So it was like hearing things about like the McKnight Achievers and yeah, like yeah, yeah. things I had never heard of until <laughs> we stepped into this world. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, I kind of was like, wait, how did they have access to this? I've never, mm. I've never heard who, who has this, who has permission to be a part right. of this. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think you did an extreme job um, being able to show all of those little intricacies within the book about where Black people were, especially during that that period of time. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, because there, you know, there are there are you know profound people have very different experiences. Do you know what I mean? But there is like a, I think you can still have an underlying unity in a sense do you know what i mean but it's not that they're not problems or you know people think crazy stuff do crazy stuff or whatever but it's like i i yeah it's interesting to me in terms of class and representing class because that's very complicated do you know what i mean yes yes yeah um so i have a question when you uh sat down and you started to you know begin rolling through your mind just going back to flip lady because I think that's one of my favorite stories in your head does the does does the story automatically like open up uh like a prism in your mind of like okay I know exactly where I want this story to go and the topics that I want to talk about or is this something that like slowly unfurls itself to you and tells you okay this is what I want to be huh you know I think I don't know where I'm going (laughs) (laughs) no I think it unfurls that's that's very interesting I remember the flip lady and we called her the flip lady in my neighborhood so and I've said that and only some people seem to know what I mean when I when I'd say the flip lady because that's what we called her because that's where we got the popsicles so there was like a vivid image and I just started writing about her but I don't I, I hardly I I usually don't know where I'm going until I started writing it. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in in stories that we read, oftentimes reader are always trying to find the antagonist in the story. Mm. In these collection of stories, he have presented us with realizations that problems might be big, bigger and deeper than what we're currently reading on the page. How important is it to keep reminding the world through your writing that we are all affected we all affect each other's existence, maybe directly or sometimes indirectly. That's that's a really interesting question. Um, that's a really interesting question. There are it's it's interesting in terms of representation too and problems, because I really wanted to focus on the community itself that I was writing about. So and it's. And it, it's come up before, like in the in the first book I wrote too, it's like, um, it's more about people, certain things going on are kind of assumed in the book. And so it's more about people, like I was saying grief, but it's more about the processing of what their experiences are outside of that, that I'm, that I'm interested in and how people sort of come together, right? Um, yeah, no, that's very interesting. I don't, I don't know how to answer that exactly. Do you know? But I, it's something I do think about things like that. Do you and know? I, and I think indirectly, I was, I think indirectly, you kind of maybe just placed the answer also in the story. Because when I told you that the, these stories really like left like this 
mark in my head of like, you cannot just move in the world knowing that you're going to be okay and you don't affect other people. Right. You right. can be like place it in there. Like if you say something or you do something, it's like this cascading effect. Yes. You know, that, you know, like, like how generational trauma is a thing mm, because right. you don't inflict one person, you inflict harm to the whole community and maybe generations after that. That's right. That's right. That's, that's true. So yeah. to me, it's kind of like, I don't know, it just really spoke to me when my, I was reading your book that, you know, we can't act stupid because we want to achieve something now for our own good. We always have to think of the bigger picture. And I think that's what you're trying to like, you know, place in this book of like the community that you're trying to live in. Right. Exist for your own self. Right. Right. And then ultimately people are sort of, you, you are dependent on the people that are around you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but yes, that's, that's very true. That was very nicely said. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we see over the course of your book, uh, the growth of characters and the impact that their experience had on them, as well as the community. And in your title piece, you bring back a character named Calvin Green which I'm assuming was Calvin from the Flip Lady story. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is an employee at a franchise called Birdie's Burgers, once owned by his uncle back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so upon reading this particular section, I was instantly thrown back into the early 90s where there was an infamous McDonald's commercial uh, that I think became like Black History uh, classic, where we witnessed over the course of three commercials that were released, um, Calvin getting a job at McDonald's. <laughs> and influence, then he goes and he influenced a neighborhood friend of his to come in and, and get a job as well. And then in the last commercial, we see that Calvin is now up to probably become an, a, man, a manager of uh, McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And so I was just curious, uh, was Calvin in your book a take on Calvin from this McDonald's commercial? And uh, I, I was just curious, is, is that where you may have pulled that from? It is, but I, it was part of my, it was, it was a reference because I can't have it actually be about McDonald's. Right. So that was a way of, of, there's all this associative. So yes, yes, I, that, is, that was a reference it. to McDonald's, yeah. See, I, I am older than Denny, and Denny is <laughs> Denny is, is from the Philippines. So, I I time I finished reading that story, I went to YouTube and I found all the commercials and I sent funny. them to her. <laughs> that's so like, funny. Why did I just watch. <laughs> I'm and like, that's really funny. Magic. Yeah, because I was like, I asked that question. Why did what did I just watch? Because I'm like, isn't it the book that I just read? <laughs> and, and I'm like, this. I, and I'm like, there's more to this, but go ahead, Veronica. But it's it's just one of those things that we say when someone gets a job, you know, oh, Calvin got a job. It's like That's so funny. This thing that you know resonates with those who grew up in the '90s. So I really yeah. like that callback to to that moment. Uh, did you do the same with um, Montgomery? It kind of gave me uh, hints of uh, <laughs> Marion Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
oh man this book y'all gotta read this book i'm telling you but it's names i'm not supposed to come out and say so and, and it's not because i'm i'm doing my own thing with it do you know right, what i mean right, right that line is is public i don't know what you call it that's public domain well, public that, domain right, right there yeah so that's what that's what i said I'm, I'm not referencing him literally but that line i remember that line that was woof Good yeah. Lord, that was a mess. I... <laughs> what a time, what a time. <laughs> but, but you see, that's, that's what I think artists and, you know, writers do is take those so we can, we can expand it and have people be aware of what really is going on. And those are between the lines. And yeah, and those moments were, you know, very, you know, even if it was a, you know, something similar to a commercial or an actual moment that happened in history, were very, um, uh like cemented in the mind of african americans during the during the 90s it's such it right. was the 90s was like you said it was such a pivotal point for all of us and it was this yeah. turn this turning that we were making right um, so all of those events and everything that you can pull from this book that reminds you of this period it, it was it was definitely so strong Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I I thought a lot of too about sort of ideas of, of uh, you know, leadership, a leadership class during that period. That 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 video was really shocking to me. So it's like part of the, <laughs> the youthful <laughs> trauma of like, oh my goodness, you know, I never seen anything like that. I'm sure a lot of people hadn't. I also did a lot of research on McDonald's for the other for the other story for the last suspicious holdouts. Yes. So, which is fascinating because it's true they you know they stayed in the inner city when a lot of other businesses left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on during that period. So, um, I mean, not not for, I, you know, they were making money. That's why why they did that. But it's just. Um, it was interesting to do research on that and also the the process by which calvin would acquire a franchise if he ever aspired to do that would was very um it would not have been easy at that point for him to do it which is part of uh what is going on in there so right it's multi-layered mm -hmm. very multi <laughs> so yeah. i i guess like going back to earlier when you were when you were asking me you know like the issues that our communities face I think this is maybe probably closest to my heart because I am a nurse by trade. I do this, oh. I do this podcast out of love. Awesome. Um, <laughs> That's um, great. So, so to me, like healthcare, especially like women's healthcare uh, for people of color has always been under prioritized by governing bodies and the society. Mm -hmm. um, why was it important for you to highlight those instances in your book? About healthcare? Yes, ma'am. And like, you know, like the night nurses, which, which right. I mean, like, you know, I'm like, I, I just had to laugh at it because I am a nurse and I'm just like, you know, it, to me, it's almost kind of satire, but it, it really happens. And then like, you know, giving birth and like expectations for women after giving birth. Right. So a mom. So I'm just like, this is pinching my heart. Right. Yeah, and I, yeah, some, it's just, it, I wanted to write, that's interesting, because I really wanted to write about somebody that really kind of needed caring for, mm -hmm. and 
you know, maybe she thought she was asking for it. And, you know, people, you don't know, there's all these times like where you don't know, it's just just like, are you being rude and disrespectful to me? Or am I being oversensitive? Or you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sometimes the consequences of, of that can, can potentially be very serious when you're dealing with a medical issue. Mm-hmm. So that was like kind of a, um, what is it? Microaggression, just like you, when you don't know, but trying to put it in a, in a context of, of healthcare and, and from her perspective, um, as someone again, who I think for a lot of other reasons was, was coming in sort of needing support as opposed to being made to feel like she was a bad mother do you know yeah and you know it's not a hidden secret like racial bias in healthcare is very very prevalent yes you like you know black and brown communities so it's it it's like you give the least support to the group of people that need it the most right right that's why it was I'm like I'm I was I was glad that it was in there and you know it also makes me like check my own my own self when I give care to people and I think that's what's most important when reading these stories or type of stories that you write thank you thank you it's really hard and again you know because you this is such a particular moment in terms of thinking about that or being um you know conscious of that with with what with the, you know, this pandemic we've been, we've been going through. And I, I know in New Orleans, it was a very big um, deal when it first started the the disparities in terms of who was getting really sick and sort of the reasons behind all of that. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of people seem to be paying more attention to sort of what had led up to making certain communities more vulnerable Mm -hmm. to the virus. Do you know what I mean? That it was sort of, it is a long-term healthcare issue, right? In terms of how people have been treated and, 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 you know, making them more, it's just, it's a particular moment right now. I don't, I don't know, maybe it's fading or maybe it won't last very long, but it did seem like a lot of issues that were really important. Right. I don't know. Do you hear people saying they don't want to talk, they're sick of talking about race where you are? Do you hear that a lot? Oh, well, in oh, here yeah. in Florida? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, have a, we have a governor right now who is passing those bills. Those bills have just right. passed where, you know, they're basically saying we're going to put into law the um, inability to talk about those things. That oh, that's right. I yeah. see what you're saying. The yeah. critical race, all that stuff. Critical so race critical. theory, you know, the don't say gay bill. There, right. There's just a lot. Oh, of- right. That's Shoot, happening. that's right. I've been reading about that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we are we are um in outer space. <laughs> in outer space, ground zero of all of, of all of that what that's that's happening. And it's really disheartening to see because I know that my state can can do so much more than what people see it um uh, doing currently. Uh but we you know, there's just this, this, there needs to be a bigger drive and I'm not quite seeing that now, which I think that right. is, is, is the sad part of people like really truly mobilizing like they should. Right. And, and, and against all of these things that are, that's happening. So it makes me fearful. I don't know exactly what our state will look like in the next coming years, but right. you know, that's, 
that's to say with just our country in general but it's the country well see that's what i because i was thinking is just people seem more sort of um since trump a lot of stuff seems to have become much more overt do you know that's what i meant when i was saying that it just seems like do you know what i mean like in terms of racism and stuff like that um but yeah you do have all that that weird stuff like but that to, see to me that's part of it like wanting to not talk about history that obviously happened and is still happening do you know as if it didn't mm -hmm. to me that's like a very aggressive thing also but on the surface it is like saying we don't want it because i mean that's a very it's just such an aggressive gesture to say well, we're gonna just pretend none of this happened do you know what i mean yeah it's like the ultimate gaslighting that you yes. get to somebody yeah right? yeah yeah and to me that's the most disrespectful thing that you can do mm-hmm just mm -hmm. that's my that's in my opinion at least because that really that to me that kind of says like you don't really care right for another human being but yourself and the people right. that like you mm -hmm. you right know, you can reason with me you know i do this i do that i don't i don't do this i don't do that but still like in the core of your heart you don't care you basically right. give a shit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you don't give a shit it's it, but it, it's it's just it's just a weird time in terms of all of that do you know what i mean it's just a weird because it just seems it is blatant. i guess it's always been seemed very blatant in a sense because it's it's crazy it seems very crazy to be saying we want to pretend this never happened because it might make like white children feel bad which doesn't make any sense whatsoever but it seems very like a, a just a blatant kind of hostile gesture like you're saying I, I don't give a shit do you know as opposed to pretending i don't know maybe if you, i don't know it probably felt different i was just younger and maybe didn't notice it in the same i always felt like that when things i think it, it goes back to what you were saying like you know with that time period in your book you're dealing with this post civil rights and now here we're in this post racial you know moment right. I think that is just a cover of being for people to be able to be more blatant in, right. a, in a way that they've never, I'm not going to say that they'd never, but in a, in a newfound way, <laughs> in a new way, <laughs> they, they figured out a different way. Say, okay, <laughs> We can't outright go in and do all of these horrible things, even though, but they're pretty blatant they're, right now. They're extremely in your face. Yeah. We have people standing on the street corners and doing things and physically hurting people. So, you know, it's just like, this is, this is, this is a, a new era. It's like, oh, we thought you all can only take it so far, but now right. we're going, we're exceeding the possibilities of what you can do. But you know, that's how hate works. It has, no, how, it has no bounds. No bounds. <laughs> it's limitless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so pivoting to a little, you know, um, a little bit more pleasant, pleasant topic. <laughs> Toni Morrison. <laughs> yeah, that's a pleasant topic. That's yeah. a nice topic. She was yeah. your thesis advisor and she wrote a blurb on your first novel, The Talented Ribkins. Yes. How does it feel that such an icon gave you such praise? And what was your time like sharing that space and working with her during the early years of your writing? Oh, yeah, no, it, it was amazing. And it, it is quite true that that's probably why I um, write fiction is because she exists. So 
um yeah she was like i i read one of her books and i was i read all of her books and then i was like just you know oh i was she i was she was i was like her biggest fan and so that the idea i got very obsessed i used to only write poems and i got very obsessed with the idea of her just looking at a poem i had written and i think that's why i was so obsessed with trying to get into one of her writing workshops and i finally got into one then i had to actually write some fiction <laughs> So that's basically what what that was. And she was she was really great. She was wonderful. You know, um, she really encouraged um, me to 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 find, you know, my own voice and, and to experiment with form as much as I wanted to. And yeah, it was a really, really positive experience. And it, I'm, I'm still like really amazed that I actually got to spend time with her. I was very glad to finally finish a novel so that I could show it to her. That was like, that was the best. I was like, finally, I wrote a novel and I'm sending it to you. And that was like the best, that was the best feeling also. So, and then she did, she, she blessed me with that wonderful blurb, which meant so much to me. So, yeah. I could only imagine what that what that is like to to send your work to the Toni Morrison is just oh goodness like how how did that uh relationship start like how were you what where were you for you to be able to be advised by her I went to Princeton mm -hmm. I was at Princeton and it, I you know it was difficult and then I, I was actually wanted to transfer at one point. And then I, and then someone said, you know, Toni Morrison said uh, at your school. And I had never read, cause I never read that in high school. I didn't read, I wasn't exposed to a lot of writers or black writers. I might not have been exposed to any in high school. And so I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And I was just like, yeah, I, I kind of idolized her. Do you know? It was very hard to get into her workshop. It definitely took several attempts to get in, you know, but I was obsessed and I probably didn't have anything better to do <laughs> <laughs> while I was there, except to try to figure out how to get into one of her classes, you know, and, and figure out how I could meet her. I just, I, I don't know. It just was that was it for me. I, I, I've never felt that way about, so, I mean, I could really did. She was like my, my idol. Well, you, you it's not just me. I know it's not just me. No, right? it's not just you. Yeah. No, I know. But the idea that there might be a way if I could just figure it out to show her one of my little like poems, I was like <laughs> obsessed with showing her one of It's so funny to me. Well, that's the one thing too, because I was so young. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I was like, very, you know, knew exactly what I was doing, you know? So, mm -hmm. so it's like almost weird to me to think about how young I was then, do you know? Because well, I- maybe, maybe that was the magic though, because you were young. There was that drive. Because I would be in the same, I'm like, I need to be in the space. <laughs> you. Just want to breathe. That's right. Like, that's right. That's right. Like, I mean, I'm not. I have nothing you. better to do than try to figure out how to meet Toni Morrison. Like, I'm that was all I was. Yeah, I'm gonna be there. 
I'm going to follow you. I'm going to read all your books and I'm not going to stop until you read one of mine. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Got to do. And look at, look at, look at where you are right now. You know, I do. I'm very grateful. I am very grateful. And, and she did, she taught me a lot. She taught me a lot. That was, it was a very beautiful experience. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so when you're not writing, what is Lady Hubbard doing? What are, what are you doing when you're not writing? I have three kids, so <laughs> that is what I'm doing. Mothering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of what I'm doing when I'm not writing to be perfect. What's the age rage range? Oh my gosh. Um, 21, 16, and nine. Oh, all the good numbers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to play yeah. that at the lottery. Okay. <laughs> pick, pick five. I, I, I have a two-year-old. Um, oh. You, know, you, you want to trade sometime? <laughs> no, but that's so cute. That's such a cute age. And, and so adorable. Until you hear, mommy, where are you, mommy? <laughs> <laughs> Before we started this interview, he literally was crying because we're like our rooms are like the, we oh. the same wall. Oh, please, please, just please <laughs> go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> I I know that feel. They still do that at sixteen, though. Unfortunately, they just, they're very loud. They stay so, loud. So much hope. So much hope. <laughs> <laughs> what do they think of you as as this writer? Like I have, I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, they're all they're so different, and they're all such different ages. So they they the older one is very nice. My daughter, mm -hmm. she tends to be very understanding that I need to ride and very supportive. I don't think the sixteen year old has looked at anything I've written. I don't think he's just had. And it, so I was telling someone he had to write a book report, and he was asking me questions. About my book, and I was like, "You didn't read it. You didn't read it, did you?" <laughs> it's like your mother's book, and you're writing a book report and asking me like questions about the main character. And I was like, "You did not read this book." So. <laughs> I was saying they stay loud. They stay like this is different. They have very cute voices at two. Their voices are cuter at two. Yeah, little chipmunk. <laughs> but but why? But why? <laughs> I remember that, that. stage. <laughs> I remember that. That's adorable. That's adorable. So you said you live in New Orleans. Yeah. What is the best food in New Orleans? Oh my gosh, that's a that's a that's a hard question. Have you have you ever been there? My husband has been there. I haven't been. Oh, we you supposed, should go. We we're supposed to go, but the world kind of shut down, and then I had right. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you can go now, well, you just missed Mardi Gras. Yes. Yes. But like, were you able to go out and see where a lot of are there parades coming back and everything. Or? Oh yeah, I'm not there right now though. I'm in um. Oh yeah, I'm that's right. Massachusetts. I'm in the snow. So, but every time I talk to. My daughter, I could hear yelling in the background behind her. So I think people were having a good time. That's good. <laughs> Science of life. Science of life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are at the 
the point of our show where we like to ask all of our authors that come on, all of our guests, um, we want to know what are your either your top five favorite books of all time. Oh my god! Okay. Um, thanks to uh, Disha, feel y'all. She flipped it. If not your favorite of all time, your top five that you're excited that is coming out that you want everybody to know. Oh my gosh. Both of those are hard for me. Both of those are hard for me. Um, and my favorite books of all time change depending on what I'm doing all the time. <laughs> so weirdly, I've been reading a lot of um, Chester Himes lately. I don't think he's my favorite of all times, but I, he's, I, I really respect Chester. I, I find him fascinating. So I've been reading a lot of that. I don't have good answers for you for either of these. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I'm trying to, let me think, that are coming out to books that haven't come out yet. Or that you, you know that you want people to know, like this is something I read recently that I think you should, you probably should pick this up by this person or whatever. Well, I'm excited. I really liked um, Megan Giddings' book that came out a couple years ago, and she has another book coming out soon. Mm-hmm. And then I have, I'm doing actually a, um, a talk with a um, South African writer named C.A. Davids that who's had a book called How to Be a Revolutionary that I think came out really recently. Mm-hmm. And I will do, I have this This is a friend of mine. His book is coming out soon. Oh, wow. Ballad of um, Perilous Graves by Alex Jennings. That's another one. And I'm sorry, I'm so bad at, at these kinds of <laughs> things. So I, I don't know. I might have to pull a pineapple on you for. <laughs> I to pull a pineapple. I can't think of. I'm. It's really hard for me to think of stuff like that. Yeah. You know, full disclosure, you know, we, we have authors that would come in and to, you know, the, the listeners know, know too that like, this might be the ones that would be on your mind today, but maybe yes. tomorrow. That's, that's okay. right. That's okay. You know, so. Okay. Well, th- that's the thing. Chester Himes is on my mind today. All so right. who oh. else has been on my mind? It's because of something I'm, I'm right. I've been writing and I'm here writing another book. So. Which is the descendants, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, so I've been thinking a lot about structure. Weirdly, Invisible Man has been on my mind a lot. Mm. These are not good. I don't feel like I have exciting or interesting answers for you in terms (laughs) of that. But this is the kind of stuff that's been on my mind lately. What's the best Toni Morrison book you've read? I really will always love Song of Solomon. I just love Song of Solomon. That is I mean, I like, I mean, I really love everything she's written for different reasons, but that I just love Song of Solomon a lot. I know we, we've had a lot of people when we, when we ask this question, she is usually at the, t- somewhere in that list, if not at the, at the top, her name gets, gets pushed, pushed out. And, yep. you know, obviously, cause it's, it's Toni Morrison. Yeah. But- I think it really speaks to what people treasure as, as, you know, this is something near and dear to, to my heart and to have something of, you know, this is my favorite book of theirs is, and right. makes people say, okay, if, if they've not picked that book up to go and see, okay, let me see what, what is it in this book 
that resonates with so many people and that one is often talked about yeah i've been thinking about sula a lot lately too that was our december pick really yeah that's we great. wanted to do a classic for december oh that's great that's and we, great and, and yeah we 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 decided to dive into that one because neither of us had ever read tony morrison before and oh so, wow yeah. yeah like you like for me the only time that i ever heard of a, of a a black writer was when i was in the 11th grade and it was zora neale hurston that's who i was introduced right so right. their eyes of a watching guy will forever be my number one that's awesome that's yeah. not bad do you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> i'm probably older than you i don't think i don't know if i read any writers until i went to um college mm. i don't think i read any black certainly not any black women until mm. i went to college which was really sad to me do you know yeah 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 so, i'm right there with you like yeah felt like this whole world was hidden away nobody told us about until we got if we were able to find out about right it. well that's what it felt like too i was just like oh when you read i when i, I remember being like amazed like reading kane for the first time have you read kane no i haven't i haven't oh gene tumors kane that was like one of the first things i read i remember reading kane kane is a beautiful book just a beautiful book it was like a world opening up that's another one to add to the list there you go Usually I say Toni Morrison, but you had me like gushing over Toni Morrison right before. So, I mean, it's obvious. It's obvious. <laughs> well, lady, thank you so much uh, for oh. entertaining us and answering all of our crazy questions. We really appreciate it. And um, we can't wait for everyone to get a hold of your book uh when it comes out it is it's beautiful cover it's beautiful words from a beautiful person thank you so much for coming on to our show thank you so much for grazing our little show and talking about you know your love of tony morrison and you know how this how this novel came about and yeah it was just it was just magic sprinkled in this so thank you, know, you so much i hope you get a hold of the galleys me too soon no it was wonderful talking to you guys it really was so thank you for inviting me on it was awesome it was wonderful to meet you all right take, take care. care take care have a good night oh you too bye bye, bye. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let us explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.